Could we stand for just a moment in honor of the reading of God's word? We'll be reading from Paul's second letter to Timothy, verse, chapter 1, verse 8. So never be ashamed to tell others about the Lord. And don't be ashamed of me either, even though I am in prison for him. With the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. This summer, we are starting then with a study of Paul's second letter to Timothy. We're going to do this for June and a little bit of July. Second Timothy is a troubling letter. The Apostle Paul, one of the great preachers of the New Testament, traveling around spreading the good news of Jesus through the Roman Empire, is an older man by the time he's writing this. He's in prison in Rome. He's already had one trial, as we'll read in one of the weeks to come, and it didn't go well. It looks like Paul's going to get one more trial, and then he's going to be executed. Many scholars believe this letter is the last that Paul wrote that was included in the New Testament. As we're going to see in the weeks to come, people are abandoning Paul, people that used to be his friends. There was a time when the gospel of uh, Jesus Christ was fun for all of them, when it was elevating the status of women in their society and encouraging people to free their slaves, when it was promising eternal life. But now that it's leading to riots and people are being jailed and sentenced to death, it's not so fun anymore. So people are distancing themselves from Paul and his preaching. Why do people do this? I mean the silencing of the preaching. Why do people try to silence the good news of Jesus Christ? What would anyone have against the message of Jesus in that time or even up till today? Why do people try to silence that message? Now, I will give you the answer. And this will, if you can get this, this will greatly clarify your understanding of all of history and the world today. This is going to bring things into sharp focus. Why do people try to silence the message of Jesus Christ? Money. It's always about the money. Even as I say it, it sounds not quite right and a little simplistic, but let me take you to the incidences that got Paul in prison and see if we don't notice a little something. So let's go back to the book of Acts where all this got started. And in Acts chapter 19, Paul has just convinced a whole town that handmade gods of silver, little idols, are not necessary to worship God. Who does this upset? The Guild of Silversmiths. The Guild of Silversmiths stands up in front of the town. And what do they tell people? Some religious argument? No. They say this. Look, it's not just about our business. We're not just looking out for ourselves. Heavens no. This is also about tourist dollars. We'll, what, we will, what will we lose as a town if people stop coming here to visit the temple of Artemis, the greatest tourist attraction in Ephesus? And everyone says, you're right. Kill them. Not enough. Not convinced? Let's go to Acts chapter 16. In Acts chapter 16, there's a young slave girl who's possessed by a demon. And she's a fortune teller. And her owner makes, it says in the text, a lot of money off of her demonic skill. Well, Paul exercises the demon and sets her free. And she stops fortune telling. 
All right. Now, I know we're all over the map probably this morning on who believes in demons and who doesn't. I personally do believe in demonic possession and things like this. However, if you don't, we can at least agree on this interpretation of the story. The girl had something going on, and she was a fortune teller. And then Paul came up and did this exorcism, he thought, casting out a demon. And after that, she stopped telling fortunes. We can at least agree on that interpretation of the events, which leads us then into verse 19. I'm reading right from the Bible. Her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered. So they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities. Notice where the authorities meet. At the marketplace. They have judges sitting right there just to make sure all the money stuff happens the right way. These are the riots that started. These are the reason Paul is in prison. Don't ever think that religious persecution is about religion. That's just the argument you use to get the poor people to go fight for you. It's never about, the truth is, and you already know this, most people in this world do not care who you worship or how you worship them. Do what you want, as long as it doesn't touch anyone's pocketbook. But be warned, Christianity's view of the world is very dangerous to everyone who profits from ignorance and misfortune of others. Therefore, Christianity is always going to clash with economic powers that profit from ignorance and misfortune. And Christianity is always going to clash with the politicians who protect those people for a cut of those profits. These are the reasons Paul is in jail. And his imprisonment has embarrassed the church. How embarrassing to be associated with a jailbird who started riots. People are reluctant to share the good news of Jesus now because it's disruptive, it's unpopular, and it might be dangerous. So that's why Paul writes this letter to Timothy from jail, and he has a tough message for Timothy. He says, Timothy, don't be ashamed of me. Don't be ashamed of the good news of Jesus. And in that last part of verse 8, With the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. Be ready to suffer. That is a hard message. And it's doubly hard because Paul isn't just in prison. Paul is on death row. When Paul says, be ready to suffer for Jesus, he means be ready to suffer to the very end, the swift sword of the headsman. This is a hard message for Timothy. And it's no easier for us. In our culture, most of us crave two things more than anything. Safety and security. Many of us, myself included, we ran to Jesus because of the safety and security that he promised us. We we ran to him because of his authority, which was rooted in the deep goodness of God. And that authority, we believe, will guide us into a place of peace. That's why we came to Jesus. We want the grace of God to take us away from life's difficulties, not add to them. So to now hear that the Christian life, if you live it rightly, will bring suffering is something that uh, most of us would just rather pretend we did not hear. But we have to hear it. Everyone, these are our holy scriptures. This is the truth that has brought us so far. How far have these truths brought you? 
You can't abandon them now because you encountered something unexpected or unpleasant. And part of this truth that we've clinged to is that even if we serve Christ perfectly, we will have suffering. Because Jesus is no more popular now with those who profit from fear, ignorance, and misery. He's no more popular now with the politicians who protect those people for an exchange for a cut of those profits than he was back then. Did you ever see the movie On the Waterfront? It's like a late 50s, early 60s movie, black and white, Marlon Brando. It's about dock workers and labor unions and a washed up boxer. And there's this one scene where this dock worker tries to start a labor union. So somebody down on the docks drops a crane load of pallets on him and kills him. But they make it look like it was a dock working accident. A signal to anyone else who would try to start a labor union. Well, in the middle of this movie, in pops this priest. And right in the middle of this 1950s gritty Marlon Brando movie, this priest gives this beautiful sermon. Have you ever heard it? I thought we should watch this scene. It's quite jarring even when you watch the movie. How'd this appear in the middle of the movie? But watch this and and see if you don't hear the gospel proclaimed right in the middle of this old Brando movie. I came down here to keep a promise. I gave K.O. my word that if he stood up to the mob... I'd stand up with him all the way. And now K.O. Dugan is dead. He was one of those fellows who had the gift of standing up, but this time they fixed him. Oh, they, they fixed him for good this time. Unless it was an accident, like Big Mac says. Some people think the crucifixion only took place on Calvary. They better wise up. Taking Joey Doyle's life to stop him from testifying is a crucifixion. And dropping a sling on K.O. Dugan because he was ready to spill his guts tomorrow. That's a crucifixion. And every time the mob puts the crusher on a good man, tries to stop him from doing his duty as a citizen, it's a crucifixion. And anybody who sits around and lets it happen, keeps silent about something he knows has happened, shares the guilt of it just as much as the Roman soldier who pierced the flesh of our Lord to see if he was dead. church father boys this is my church and if you don't think christ is down here on the waterfront you've got another guest coming get off the dock father tell you don't do that who said you on boy let him finish every morning when the hiring boss blows his whistle jesus stands alongside you in the shape up He sees why some of you get picked and some of you get passed over. He sees the family men worrying about getting the rent and getting food in the house for the wife and the kids. He sees you selling your souls to the mob for a day's pay. The next bum that throws something deals with me. I don't care if he's twice my size. Now, what does Christ think of the easy money boys who do none of the work and take all of the gravy? And how does he feel about the fellows who wear $150 suits and diamond rings? on you union dues and your kickback money. And how does he, who spoke up without fear against every evil, feel about your silence? Tell him about that. Just watch this. You see that? You want to know what's wrong with our waterfront? 
It's the love of a lousy buck. It's making love of a buck, the cushy job, more important than the love of man. It's forgetting that every fella down here is your brother in Christ. But remember, Christ is always with you. Christ is in the shape up, he's in the hatch, he's in the unit, he's kneeling right here beside Dugan. And he's staying with all of you. If you do it to the least of mine, you do it to me. And what they did to Joey and what they did to Dugan, they're doing to you. And you, you, all of you. And only you, only you with God's help have the power to knock them out for good. Amen. Jesus is no more popular with those who profit from misery and fear and ignorance and those who protect them for a cut now than he was then. I don't want to hear this. I came to Jesus to escape from danger and sin and darkness and uncertainty. I want to believe that if I stay true, stay faithful, walk rightly, it will lead to a life without suffering. But that is not real. That is not the gospel revealed to us by our God. I don't know if it'll be in my lifetime or your lifetime or the lifetime of your children, but someday in some part or corner of your world, Jesus will call us to confront these powers. Will it be about a war that's being waged largely for profit some point in the future? I don't know. Will it be about government moving in and trying to arrange our lives for us? Taking their cut, of course. I don't know. Will it be about racism? Who knows? Will it be about someone trying to declare some part of this sermon you're hearing hate speech and threatening us with fines and jail time for listening to it? Who can say? Will it be something going on in your company or your place of work? Will we have stepped on the wrong toes, gone too deep into China or Africa or Mexico and threatened some trade deal or someone's source of cheap labor? Who can tell? But I'm telling you that when it comes, it will be financially and politically motivated. It will be because someone felt like the gospel of Jesus Christ was threatening their pocketbook. And that's always the way it's been from the Apostle Paul to the Reverend Martin Luther King and to today. So today's teaching isn't something we want right now. But it's something we're going to need somewhere, sometime in the future. So I encourage us to open our hearts this morning and let God's word install something in us that we hope we never need. But something we'd never want to be without if the time for that need came. Let's open ourselves to the word of the Lord. Paul says to be ready to suffer for the good news. And then he tells us, through this letter to Timothy, what that good news is. Verse 9. For God saved us 
and called us to live a holy life. He did this not because we deserve it, but because that was his plan from before the beginning of time to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. This is the good news, everyone. God loved us so much. He gave us the ability to love. Very few creatures in creation have the ability to love and none to the capacity that a human does. To choose. He gave us a free will capable of an infinite number of choices and among them, the ability to give ourselves in love. You can choose a spouse and you can give yourself to them in love. You can have children and you have an additional choice to give yourself to your children in love. And we can give ourselves in love to God. And yet our God knew before he even gave us the choice that we would choose wrongly. All of us, it seems, myself, and I've never met a person who hasn't done this, takes this infinite freedom and from somewhere in our life we get off track. We don't love others the way we should. We don't love God the way we should. Even knowing this, he gave us the ability anyway, and he, even knowing it, before he gave us a choice, he made a plan to save us. He made a plan from the beginning to bring us back home. Verse 10. And now he has made all of this plain to us by the appearing of Christ Jesus, our Savior. He broke the power of death and illuminated the way to life and immortality through the good news. This is what we're preaching, everyone. This is the gospel. There is no hate in that message. There is no killing or concentration camps in that message. There is no mind control in that message. If we stick to preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, our words are completely above reproach. There's nothing anyone can say against it. But don't be naive to think that they're not a threat to someone. Anyone who profits from fear or misery or ignorance hates this message because this removes the fear and ignorance and the misery of the world. But Paul says you preach it anyway because it's a good and a hopeful message. It's what the world needs. It's part of God's plan for us. Paul says, that's what I'm doing. I'm preaching it anyway. Verse 11, and God, Paul says, and God chose me to be a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of this good news. That is why I'm suffering here in prison, but I'm not ashamed of it, for I know the one in whom I trust, and I am sure that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until the day of his return. Paul always goes back to this when he talks about suffering. He always gets comfort from remembering Christ is going to return. Even if it seems like the bad guys are winning everything, in the end, we know from our story, they get nothing. All the Roman Empire did by jailing Paul and beheading Paul and harassing Timothy is heap more judgment on themselves All they did was unmask their own evil and say, this is what we really are. We gather up old men who preach against idols and we chop their heads off. Oh, that's not the Roman Empire I learned about in Western Civ class. If you're doing nothing but preaching the love of God, they can't touch you. I mean, I know in this life, they can take your possessions, ruin your reputation, they can even kill you, but... This life, compared to what is to come, will be a very short, bland experience. 
And everyone who clung to this life and used violence to cling to it will be ashamed. So Paul pleads with Timothy in this letter we're going to study, don't give in to the pressures of this culture. Don't give in to fear and shame. Come suffer with me for the sake of Christ. Now Paul, in his genius, and he was a genius, knows that for those of us who fear suffering and instability and shame, we need some assurances. We need some assurances that this is God's will. I mean, right? If suffering and resisting the pull of culture is really part of our tradition of faith and being a person of God, we'll do it. But we need to know that it's really a part of God's plan because it looks to us sometimes like it's a sign that God's plan has fallen apart if we're suffering. Don't we feel that sometimes? Paul knows this, and so that's why he writes verse 13. Hold on to the pattern of wholesome teaching you learned from me a pattern shaped by the faith and love that you have in Christ Jesus. Paul says, remember, this is the pattern of the gospel. Remember that Jesus himself said all of this would happen. Do you remember, everyone? Do you remember John chapter 15 when Jesus said, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belonged to it, but you are no longer a part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world. So it hates you. Remember what Jesus said to us in Matthew chapter 5? God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you're my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad, for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. So Paul says, remember Jesus and the cross? This is the pattern of faith. Jesus says, remember the entire Old Testament and every single prophet? This is what all the people of God have to contend with. This is a part of our journey. Do our Christian brothers and sisters in China feel ashamed when they're arrested and detained for questioning? No. They know it's part of their Christian walk. This isn't in my sermon, but I saw a video once. Uh, somebody was taken with their cell phone when the police came in to break up one of the church gatherings that we support. And the policeman stands up and he has this little book of what to do when you're arresting Christians. And he goes, now I will tell you the true way to worship Jesus. And everybody in the congregation just laughs. They all were laughing while he was reading the Communist Party instructions for how to worship Jesus. He's going to take them to jail, but they don't care. They know this is all part of it. Was Martin Luther King Jr. ashamed to sit in a Birmingham jail? No, he knew it was part of proclaiming the freedom that the gospel promises. He wrote a letter. Was Dietrich Bonhoeffer ashamed to be hanged by the Nazis the day before Easter? I doubt it. He knew what reward awaited him. Jesus told us all about this in Mark chapter 13. When these things begin to happen, watch out. You'll be handed over to local councils and beaten in the synagogues. You'll stand trial before governors and kings because you are my followers. But this will be your opportunity to tell them about me. For the good news must be preached to all nations. Once we've accepted that it's necessary in this life to suffer, we only have one fear left. 
the fear we won't be able to do it. I know it's right. I don't have the strength to do it. It's hard to be hated, hard to be lied about, hard to have things taken away from you. How on earth will we ever do it? Well, uh, this is not on the screens because I just noticed this this morning when I read a little further. Jesus actually told us when he said, you'll tell them about me. He says, but when you are arrested and stand trial, don't worry in advance about what to say. Just say what God tells you at the time. For it is not you who will be speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Paul knew that. I think he had that in mind when he wrote to Timothy, verse 14. Through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, carefully guard the precious truth that has been entrusted to you. Jesus and Paul say, of course you won't be able to stand up against all that pressure. That's why God will send you the Holy Spirit when the time is needed and he'll give you the strength in that moment. And your testimony will be this. I didn't think I could stand up to my work. I didn't think I could stand up to community leaders. I didn't think I could stand up to government or economic powers, but the Holy Spirit gave me the power. All glory be to him. I couldn't stand up, but God gave me the power. He'll give it to you when the time comes. Our Chinese brothers and sisters, Martin Luther King Jr., Dietrich Bonhoeffer, they're all emboldened by the Holy Spirit to do what they did. So you need not fear the suffering to come. When the time comes, the Spirit will give you the power to guard this precious truth you've been given. Because if God calls you, He equips you. If God calls you to suffer, then He equips you to suffer. I don't know why He only likes to do it five minutes before, but that's the way He is. Okay, I tried to think of a metaphor for today's message. I wanted to have a prop or a cool movie clip or something that would help you understand this this gem of truth Paul's giving us. I wanted something that you build or that you're given and you don't need it right away. But someday when danger comes, you need it. So I thought about storm shelters. But really that's for hiding from danger and, and that's not what Paul's doing. I love old gangster stuff, so I thought about, what about a a getaway car, you know, hidden in a hay bale? Second Timothy. But that's about escaping when the danger comes, and that's not what Paul's doing either. I really wanted to make the bat cave work. I really, you know, you descend, and here's all these resources and power that you need to combat evil, but it's full of weapons for fighting and blowing stuff up, and that's not what Paul's doing sitting in jail. The truth is, there's nothing like Paul's second letter to Timothy. Nothing but the cross paints this picture. I don't have a familiar story. Our culture doesn't embrace this story. So I'm just going to say it's a shining gem of truth, and I'd like to give it to you today through the scriptures. I'm not giving to you, just translating the scriptures. And let's hide it in our heart. You may well suffer for your Christian life because... Because your beliefs threaten the forces of wealth and power in the world. If that happens, don't be ashamed and run and hide. Proclaim the love of God, even if they make you suffer to do it. And God will give you the courage and endurance through the power of the Holy Spirit if you're called upon to do that. Hide that message inside you. Teach it to your children. It may not be necessary till their generation. This is a truth none of us ever want to need but it's a truth we won't survive without.
And so now we need something to walk out of here with that we could do today. I got two things. The first thing I'll say is to be generous to the poor. The political landscape of our country, the poor have kind of three options from politics. One is to be uh, ignored or incarcerated if they won't stand being ignored. Another is to serve as a constant source of cheap and desperate labor that someone else can make millions off of. Or another is to be paid to do nothing so that you'll just vote for the people endlessly to create a permanent slave class of voters. This is what politics offers the poor in our country. None of those forces really want them to become unpoor, our brothers and sisters who prosper alongside us. This is pretty much solely the message of Christ Jesus and his church. So, for those of you who have made a fearless pledge, I encourage you just to keep it. We're partnered with the Hope Center, an uh, inner city ministry, to bring hope and prosperity and brother and sisterhood to our brothers and sisters in the inner city. And uh, we're, gonna, we're trying to rehab a house as a church to uh, share with the Hope Center as a ministry resource to spread that message of hope. We've already raised about $60,000. we have got banked up for that house project. We just need 15000 more. And if everyone who has made a fearless pledge keeps it through the summer, that will happen. So just keep the pledge you've already made and you'll keep some of this message alive in your heart. The next, this one's going to surprise you a little bit, maybe. But the next thing that you can do to keep this message alive is have joy. Is have joy. Go home tonight and watch the news one more time and then I encourage you never to watch it again. But uh, watch the news one more time and ask yourself, is every second of this broadcast not designed to tell me to be fearful and anxious. And then every five minutes, they drop in a commercial. So this is what you get when you're watching the news. Be fearful and anxious about the political landscape. Now go by this, it'll make you feel better. Be fearful and anxious about the danger and crime in our world. Now go by this, it'll make you feel better. Be fearful and anxious about your body and your health and the health of your children. Now go by this, it'll make you feel better. Be fearful and anxious about the weather. And go by this. Don't think that design is not intentional. So your best strike back at that system is to refuse to be fearful and anxious and to buy all their junk. Go out today and do something that costs you very little or nothing. Enjoy God's creation, if it'll stop raining. Go for a hike. It's free. It costs you nothing. And you don't need bear spray. It's Missouri. Be fearful and anxious of hiking. Um, you know, go to the downtown days. Try to dodge out of some of the, I mean, they're trying to hook some money in there, but there's enough entertainment in just the people watching. Um, but find joy. Find joy today. Sit down and play a game that you already have in your house with your children. Uh, go to the Jedi Knights Fun Night. Why on earth does a church do a Star Wars Fun Night? What's that got to do with anything? Because God is about the serious business of joy. It's our strike back at the world to say, oh, I know we're so busy because we're afraid our kids might go five minutes of summer without exercising. So be fearful and anxious. But I'm saying, call it off for a Friday night and come fight Darth Vader. They'll break a sweat and it'll be fun. If you've got a kindergarten through fourth grader, indulge in joy is your way of saying God controls this world, not the prophets of fear and ignorance and misery. I have joy. I will have joy no matter what you do to me. Amen? 
Well, let us stand together. For our benediction, we're going to proclaim our faith together, the foundations of our faith, the foundations of this gospel we preach as we go out into the world. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, one holy church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Go in peace and power and joy.